and welcome to the Lost Chapter Books podcast, the show that is super awesome. I'm Kayla, and I'm your host. And on today's episode, we're actually going to be discussing this super dope book that I found about the World's Fair in Chicago in 1893. All right, my history buffs, on today's episode, I'm going to dive into the fascinating world of the 1893 Chicago World Fair. I am so excited for this. This fair is also known as the World's Columbian Exposition, and since I'm a firm believer in timeline deception, I cannot wait to explore what may have been hidden inside of this lost chapter book titled The World's Columbian Exposition, 1893, and there will be a link to this book that you can read on archive.org, so you can follow along and just maybe jump ahead or do whatever you want. This book is absolutely crazy. Oh my gosh. It's a Lost Chapter Book podcast, and I'm Kayla, your host, a fun and sometimes crazy lady that believes that history has been hidden from us, and we can find the truth about it in between the pages of old chapter books. I hope you'll join me as I explore these pages and gain a deeper understanding of the world around us. I hope you're ready to be blown away. Let's dive in to today's episode. Now, I'm not sure if you know this, but many of the buildings that were constructed for the fair, including the administration building, were said to have been built only to be torn down afterwards. So if you're with me and you believe in the timeline deception theory, you might suspect that this probably was a final display of the antiquities of the old world before they erased everything forever. Now, I've really just started diving into this book, and I'm kind of jumping the gun on making a podcast episode about it, but I am just so freaking excited. So I just have to come in here and like just tell you a play-by-play based off of the information that I find as I find it, because it's just so freaking fascinating. And this book provides insights to not only why Chicago was chosen as the site for the fair and the incredible effort that went into its planning and construction, but that it was an absolute enormous undertaking with a $10 million pledge, which would equate to about $333 million today, plus involvement from a national commission team. And somehow, despite battling the elements, including cyclones and winds and rain and snow, the organizers managed to still construct a beautiful three-mile-long fairground at Jackson Park and Midway. They brought together the greatest architects and skilled artisans and famous artists to design and execute their vision, and it only took them two and a half years to do it. Okay, so you guys can imagine that I would be a skeptic of this narrative that's being presented to us within the introduction of this book. I have to ask the question, how is it possible for these types of structures to be built in the elements and of this magnificence with this type of budget if the power tools and electricity they weren't even used yet. So the first power tool hadn't been invented yet. Electricity was invented and found, obviously, a long, long time ago, but it wasn't actually used commercially or inside residences until much later in that decade. It's only 1893. So was building these buildings actually a possibility or are we being fed a false narrative about the World Fair to cover up the fact that these buildings and these structures were already there and a part of our history that they don't want us to know about? 
So now we're going to just kind of dive deep into the introduction of this. And this is going to be a multiple part series. So I hope you follow along through to the very end and really kind of enjoy the information that I pull out of this antique book. The introduction opens up with this fantastic quote by the director general of the exposition, George R. Davis. He said, when the gates of the world's Columbian exposition have finally closed, it will be time enough to impress its lessons upon the world. It's clear to me after reading the introduction of the book that the lesson that they wanted to impress upon the world is that we can exist in peace together. I mean, all of these countries were highly involved in this and there was hardly any countries that excluded themselves from this process. So maybe that's why this was erased because peace don't make profits, right? We know that. We know that you know, a world in anger and turmoil and war is extremely profitable to the controllers. They decided to choose Chicago as the location of this World Fair. Now, this World Fair was meant to be like the granddaddy of all World Fairs. Like literally no expense was spared whatsoever. And there had been World Fairs previously before. We'll talk about that in another episode, but this was not the first time that this had happened, and they wanted to find a city that was going to house this marvelous city that they were going to build. And they quoted in the book that the reason why they chose Chicago was, and I quote, so gigantic, so young, so rich, strong, and powerful is the very essence of American progress. It is so essentially the most distinctively American of the great towns of the United States that many other cities are foreign when compared to it. So they decided that if they are going to properly celebrate the four centuries of unexampled prosperity and build a marvelous city, that it should be built inside of the marvelous city of Chicago. The budget for this project was a $10 million pledge, which is a mind-blowing $333 million today. They actually raised more money than what they needed, which is absolutely mind-blowing. And there was a national commission team that had to approve the location and all of the kind of working components of it and who was involved. So it really was a super involved process, which again, makes me highly skeptical that they went from talking about it to people walking through the doors two and a half years later. Midway Plaisance and Jackson Park was a gorgeous three-mile park stretch that was stunning with trees and ponds and greenery that was ultimately chosen as the location for the World Fair. When describing the overall project, the book literally says these exact words. It is not easy to overestimate the stupendous character of this portion of the greatest enterprise of modern times. The utmost power of genius and many millions of money were unitedly brought to bear upon the execution of the infinite details of the general plan. The greatest architects in America designed the structures, the utmost skilled artisans executed their designs, and famous artists supplied the ornamentation while an army of humble workers ceaselessly toiled over the soil itself. 
Now, remember what I said in the beginning of this episode, they had to battle the elements over two and a half years in Michigan. Okay, if you live in Michigan, how fun is the winter time on the lake? Quick answer, it's not fun. 10 out of 10 would not recommend, right? There's like ice wind and all sorts of shit, okay? So um, they had to battle these elements quite a bit during the construction process. And if you're dealing with winds and cyclones that would wipe away weeks of work, and then there's a lot of rain, and then there's snow, and then there's ice and crushed roofs on buildings, and not once did they stop working. So they describe having all of these problems and setbacks while they were building the project, but it still only took people with no power tools or electricity only two and a half years to build some of the most amazing things we have ever seen in our entire lives. I just can't swallow this pill, you guys. I can't do it. So anyways, getting back to the fact that I am absolutely struggling with the idea of a hammer and chisel excuse me, of hammer and chisel people in a time where the first power tool wasn't even invented yet and electricity wasn't commercially used and electrical service to the American homes didn't even start until the late 1890s. This is 1893. I don't believe that they managed to pull off these structures, let alone do it while battling the elements. Those structures had to have already been there They are making up a narrative and we are simply along for the ride. Another reason why I don't think that these structures were built in the two and a half years is because they basically identified the people who built those structures as heroes and even went as far as to say that their names should be carved in bronze in Jackson Park so that way the future generations would know the names of the man who sacrificed everything to make this fair happen. Now that sounds really important for something that was destroyed and I really have only seen that type of behavior somewhere else like at Burning Man where you know artists will come out and build these incredible structures and then they just burn them down to the ground at the end of the festival but this is like much more involved the structures at Burning Man take a few months to build and they're made out of wood this was like literal like in, insanely amazing buildings and it just like is mind-blowing what they accomplished in two years just to rip it all down none of that makes sense Notably, there is a radical nod of acknowledgement to the women who worked on the projects that they were responsible for. They were titled the lady managers and they held various roles in the construction field. I don't believe that they were the ones that built these. So I do think that these women just held positions of power and they did exist there and they did run a lot of the show, especially the building that was dedicated purely to women. That was all their thing. I believe that's what it's referencing to in this uh, introduction. But they used that building as a display to basically impress on the sensibilities of the commissioners and representatives of foreign countries who may not have given women in their country rights yet. And so it was upon America to impress that, look, our women here have rights and they're powerful too, which I thought was pretty awesome. Okay, so shifting gears back to the World Fair and who was invited to come and build exhibits? Well, the short answer is everyone, everyone in the world. And literally nobody declined except for the Chinese. Um, But uh, 
I really think we had world peace back then, guys. Like, what was actually going on in the 1800s? Here's something interesting that is mentioned in this introduction. Uh, Russia and United States were like BFFs at the time. Uh, America was super loyal because Russia allowed their Navy to go sit in our waters. And America helped Russia get out of famine. And, you know, there's mentions of, like, tender memories and, you know, loving loyalty and stuff. And so, fascinating, fascinatingly enough... Right around the time that people who believe in timeline deception think that the Great Reset happened is right when the tension and US between Russia and USA started. So there's some parallel things that I'm noticing that are kind of starting to line up for things when I'm like checking dates and whatnot. I find it interesting that USA and Russia were in such good spirits with each other that the United States actually gave Russia a prime piece of property within the World Fair to build their exhibit. Now, as far as China goes, their participation with the World's Fair was due to some uncomfortable situations that were going on between the U.S. and China, but they were still included in the fair itself. And there was a private company that came in and basically represented them and ensured that they had fair representation there and that that it was still a beautiful representation of what they would have had they participated. Well, wait a second. Okay, so I'm reading here that... These guys ransacked the world for treasures of art, science, and industry for the benefit of this exposition. And the ransacking was conducted by 13 chiefs of eminent ability. What the hell is that? Eminent ability? And what happened to all of the world's treasure and the art and the science? And where did it go? Why was it destroyed? So, yeah, that's a fun food for thought. So doing some general research right now, I'm using Yandex. I hate Google and like GoDuckGo because they're not like secure. But apparently there are seven surviving structures from the World's Fair that are still existing today. And that further proves that they were not temporary structures. And the buildings are the Palace of the Fine Arts, the World's Congress Building, the main state building, the Dutch Cocoa House, the Pabst Pavilion, and that's P-A-B-S-T, a ticket booth from the fair, it's really cute, and the Norway Pavilion, and yeah, two and a half years to build something that lasted centuries, not buying it. I think in order to really appreciate the grandeur here for a moment, I want to read you this little like excerpt from the book. So that way you can kind of imagine with me for a moment the magnificence that was this World Fair, or as I like to say, the old world that we come from. We come from a beautiful place, guys. Listen to this. There is nothing more to say, save to invite visitors from far and near to behold the indescribable realization of these dazzling prophecies, to gaze upon such a scene of enchantment as was never before dreamed of outside oriental tales. A city of ivory palaces embodying architectural dreams, classic creations which stir the appreciative heart and might have stood preeminent for their unapproachable beauty in the Athens of Pericles. The sculptured facade of the grand court through and above which gleam lake and sky as blue as the lake and the skies of Italy. On every side are columns and statues, the heroic figure of the Republic lifting its graceful proportions high above the silver waters below. 
and we're going to talk about who that heroic Republic figure is later. Maybe not in this episode, but future episodes for sure. We have covered the gigantic figure of the Queen of Freedom with gold as the Atheans did that of Minerva. There are gilded domes also and flashing marinettes, the flags of all the nations, and gay Galphons galore. When the sun sinks out of sight, listen to this, and the shadows creep over the lake, one by one the circling line of electric lights outlining the ivory facade gleam forth like endless strands of luminous jewels, and the dome of the administration building glows like the most stupendous of exquisite cameos. So let's talk about this whole, you know, the lights, luminous jewels on the administration building and everything kind of literally being lit up like the 4th of July when like that type of technology technically was not available. So that means that the structures that were already existing there already knew how to harvest that free energy. And I haven't really jumped down this rabbit hole yet, but I have heard that Tesla was involved with the free energy at the World Fair, and it was one of the sciences that was showcased there. So anyways, (laughs) that's just crazy facts to me. And again, another reason why I think they destroyed it, because I don't think that it would have been wise to leave any evidence of free energy in a society where you want to create a slave race of consumers. And I'm just kind of skimming through here. Um, Oh my God. You guys, what did I just read? Um, Okay. It says right here, so it's talking about the Centennial Exhibition of 1876, which is like the last World's Fair. Uh, It's quoted, resulted in the advancement a quarter of a century in the cultivation of taste, in the elevation of standards of artistic workmanship. And listen to this. The adaptation of the methods of older or more advanced civilizations to the needs of the newer continent. Did I read that right? In the raising of the masses to plateau of higher intelligence. Okay, what did I what did I just freaking read? In the adaptation of the methods of older or more advanced civilization in order to raise the masses into a plateau of higher intelligence. Um, I'm having a little like struggle swallowing my spit there. It's just kind of crazy. It makes me like really wonder what they were referring to, like raising, they wanted to raise the masses to a plateau of higher intelligence and that they were going to literally use methods of older or more advanced civilizations to supply them with those needs. That is absolutely insane. I cannot believe I just read that in this book. Holy shit. This is the type of truth I'm looking for. And finally, the goal of the World's Columbian Exposition, as described by the director in the book's introduction, was to influence the architecture of not only the United States, but the whole world. The treasures of industry, science, and art displayed at the fair were expected to inspire new works and innovations for many years to come. And additionally, the director anticipated that the coming together of people from all races and cultures at the fair 
would have some kind of intellectual and spiritual outcome that would be difficult to foresee, but undoubtedly it would be positive. But that's all the time that I have for today's podcast. And like all good things, they must come to an end. I hope you enjoyed learning about the incredible World's Columbian Exposition of 1893 and the impact it had on architecture, art, and culture. We still have so much more to uncover in this amazing book, from the magnificent white city to the incredible displays of technology and innovation. This event truly left a lasting impression on the world, and it's really going to leave a lasting impression on you as well. And as a parting thought, as we reflect on the legacy of the World's Fair, I think we should also consider the call to action that it does present us with. The fair's goal was to unite people from all walks of life and showcase the best of humanity, and that is as important today as it was over a century ago. So let us strive to continue this legacy of unity and collaboration and work towards building a better future for all. Okay, so your homework is to go out there and explore the world around you. I want you to learn about different cultures and different ways of life, and most importantly, embrace the diversity that makes our world so rich and vibrant. And don't forget to check out the links in the description for some amazing photos of the Ferris buildings and links to my other social media accounts. Please follow me on TikTok. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.